And this is Spin Class, and from time to time, we go behind the scenes of the workings of politics and government. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Paul Packer, the chairman, or soon to be former chairman, or possibly former chairman of the Commission, U.S. Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. I've known Paul for years, a, a upstanding member of the community who has, for the last couple of years, has put really put that commission on the map. It's one of those things that, while many of us have heard of the Holocaust Museum Board, this is actually a commission, and I'll let Paul talk more about it, that has uh, preserved Kvarim uh, uh, and preserved cemeteries and other uh, items of interest, not just to the Jewish community, but to other communities uh, uh, elsewhere uh, throughout the world, played a very important role behind the scenes in many very important endeavors. In the news this week, because it seems that the administration, the new administration, got around to appointing some new members. Uh, we have talked about the fact the Biden administration has been slow to do so, and in fact, they went ahead and appointed some new members this week. So, Paul, uh, welcome to Spin Class, and do I call you chairman or former chairman? You could just call me Paul now. Uh, okay, well, fair enough. Uh, t Paul, tell us about the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. It's got a mouthful of a name. And uh, tell me what the mission is. Tell me what you did as chairman and why it's so important to many of our listeners. Sure. I mean, and, and Michael, thank you. And thanks for reaching out because this is something that every, not only your listeners, but every American should probably know about. You know, under uh, President Reagan, we're going back now close to 40 years ago when the commission was established. Stephen Solars, who was the congressman from Brooklyn, and his chief of staff, his name was Michael Lewin, who happened to be the first chair of the commission, um, were kind of pushed by the, the from community in Brooklyn and uh, other constituents to uh, actually have a bill that went through Congress, was signed by the president, to establish a commission that was would be able to make sure that um, mass graves, old synagogues, holy sites throughout Eastern Europe that are important to the Jewish community and were from that were destroyed and by the Nazis would make sure that the United States, you know, really made sure that never again meant never again, and made sure that these make sure that these um, sites and graves were marked, preserved. And it's a commission that's been around for a long time. It's had many uh, distinguished chairs. And, you know, when President Reagan, well, I'm sorry, when President Reagan did this, I'm sure that he wanted a lot more to be done. But when President Trump came to office, I had the honor to be named the chair by him. And it was something that, you know, not I myself took extremely uh, seriously. And really took to heart, but also, you know, the administration itself gave me all the backing to be able to go out there and really make sure that the words never again really meant never again, not only to, you know, for the American people, but to make sure that all our allies around the world uh, knew that the Trump administration really took this seriously to make sure that those words really were something that were not going to happen. So talk about the the role. I mean, you you're as chairman, you traveled the world, you you as, engaged as chair, in agreements as, as with chair, other governments, particularly I European governments the out there to get and them really to preserve the the role from day one, you know, really jumped, you know, both feet in and made sure to go visit uh, embassies of, you know, ambassadors in Washington that were from these countries, ex-Soviet Union countries that really, you know, themselves, not only did we focus on mass graves that we, that we marked and 
memorials that we put in the countries, but we went to countries also that had people, you know, Chassidei Umot Ha'olam, the Reisha Gentiles, who I wanted to also go out there and give them recognition to countries that actually um, never got the recognition from the Jewish community or from a lot of countries that never got the recognition for doing good during the Holocaust. I'm sure nobody, nobody ever knew that Kazakhstan you know, through the Holocaust, where it was actually a place where the trains were coming through from Russia, through Kazakhstan, going towards the uh, concentration camps. But many Jews jumped off those trains. And and the Kazakh people actually took those people in, uh, Jews in, and actually many, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately many of them survived. Unfortunately, many of them intermarried. But at the same time, the the Kazakh uh, uh, people back then also... You know, the, the late Rebbe Rebbe's father was uh, exiled into Siberia, but then ended up in Kazakhstan, in Almaty. It was ended up in Kazakhstan, and the Kazakh government a year and a half ago right. uh, in to me, and they were more than happy to make the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father a heritage site in Kazakhstan. That's something that, you know, and they are, that's a Muslim country. Albania, Albania for four times over the last, uh, uh, wow. uh, throughout history, was a safe haven for Jews after the destruction of the first temple. Then again in the 1900s, uh, you know, in the 7th century, and I believe also in the 14th century, there is a... Um, something called Bessa, and in, which means in Albania is a something where where they bring in and protect people fleeing from persecution. Albania is about a, two years ago, for finally, after 10 years under Chairman Warren Miller, where a project was started to put up a big memorial to the Holocaust and to mo- and to honor the Albanian people, is right there in uh, Tirana, in the in the capital of Albania. There's a beautiful memorial and uh, uh, to the people who perished in the Holocaust, but also as a tribute to the people of Albania for saving the Jewish people. You know, that's also another Muslim country. And this is something where, you know, many countries that people didn't know the good happened. I visited Albania and they were more than happy to anything that we wanted to do, they were willing to do. Belarus, you know, Belarus now, unfortunately, they just... uh, uh, under Poroshenko right now, I would say for the first two and a half years, almost anything we asked to do in Belarus was done. The city of Mir, the village of Mir, we, you know, everyone knows the Mir Yeshiva, but the t- the village of Mir, the cemetery was redone over two summers. The cemetery was done. Leibovitz's, uh, I believe, is the big gadol who's buried there. His 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 Maseva now is standing tall, and and the the whole cemetery is totally redone. Um, the 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 original Mir Yeshiva, the foreign minister came from that village. He was willing, if we had the money to do it, he was willing to sell us back the original Mir Yeshiva. Unfortunately, there's one cemetery now where we had a memorial just about to be done. Unfortunately, the you know, the president there now has said you sent us sent the money back, and unfortunately now between the U.S. relations and the relations of Belarus, sent the money back and said that our money will not not be uh, welcome there anymore. But for the first two and a half years, it literally we were a, we were able to probably preserve at least three or four cemeteries there, and we worked with the JCC in Minsk to not only preserve the cemeteries, but actually had the Jewish youth and young adults there doing everything. It was it was an amazing thing. Lithuania, I'm sure you know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know of the uh, tremendous uh, battle going on with the Schnepiskis Cemetery in Lithuania. It's something where the, I'm very proud after, you know, was proud after 
10, 12, 15 years of a uh, debate there. We were able to get this town of Vilnius to agree to at least six principles that they would not do if there would be reconstruction there. You'll probably hear in the next month that there will not be a sports center there. Not The sports center there will not be renovated for a convention center. It will uh, they're trying, literally, I was on the phone with our ambassador there on Monday. I was on the phone with the State Department on this past Thursday to brief them on what's going on there. You know, unfortunately, I'm not sure how the new chair, Star Jones, TV personality will deal with that. But that's something we didn't, we didn't get into that yet. But, you know, there's sure. Yeah. Right, we didn't get we didn't get into that one yet. So, uh, but but I got but Paul, I got a bunch of questions for you. So let's let's back up for a second, okay? Now, I, how how are you okay? You mentioned paid for, okay? Are these projects funded by the U.S. government? Are they funded by the foreign governments? Are they funded privately? So, so the beauty the beauty the beauty of the uh, commission is number one, it falls under the office of, it, it is falls under the president of the United States. Not it, it works with the State Department, but doesn't fall under the State Department. So you know everyone you know I had a few reporters call me and say we don't understand nothing. You know there were some one or two projects done every year under the commission, but you know how were you able to accomplish so much? And I, my it's it's just a really easy answer. The easy answer is that you know you know I'm sure many of your uh, listeners know that. You know, this, the Trump administration was a very different administration. The Trump administration had the America First policy to it, but the, the Trump administration had a lot of people who really worked arm in arm, hand in hand, and it really was like a, a hand in a glove where everyone the thing really meshed and fit together. Where I would go overseas and every or go and walk into an embassy in Washington, everyone knew that we had the backing of the president and the president of the United States. You know, and people say, "Come on, seriously," and I say, "Yes," because you know we all grew up with Judeo-Christian. Um, morals. This country is built on Judeo-Christian ethics. And America, you know, all the way up to the Oval Office, knew one thing that never again really, really, really meant never again. You had a Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who said it at the APAC conference three years ago, that, you know, anti-Zionism was anti-Semitism. And that's something that when I was able to walk into any country, walk into a prime minister's office, a foreign minister's office, or a president's office, they knew for whatever reason was, they feared President Donald J. Trump. And they knew that sometimes uh, when we would say, hey, they would say, we don't have the money for it. Yes, we the money that came for the presidential budget for the commission, that was for the professionals that paid for the careers that work in the in the office. Uh, we would have to we were like the Holocaust Museum. We would have to raise the money and people would get tax deductions for that. And we went out and we I ne we never had a project that we didn't have the money for. You know, unfortunately, we you know, we weren't in this past two years. We were going to mark 20 different cemeteries in Poland uh, because of covid that went slower than we thought. There is money still sitting there. Uh, from people who donated money for some of these cemeteries. On Thursday, I got a call from the chief rabbi of Poland, Rabbi Shudrich, who said, we have the first three cemeteries ready for you to come out and memorialize, and they have been marked. We have more to do. Let's hope, you know, uh, this new chair, and we could talk about that, will... Uh, okay, so let's... Let uh, so essentially, on. to understand, is this was a, a, 
it, it affect the bully pulpit. Yes, you're not the president, but you were speaking on behalf of the president of the United States. You had the authority of the U.S. government behind you, which obviously throughout the world is a very important thing, an incredibly powerful symbol. And symbolically that the American government stood behind these projects certainly meant a lot to the government that you dealt with. But uh, before we get into the transition, I want to just talk about the there are a lot of people on the commission. It's a 21 or 20 something person commission. It's a 21 person commission, which right. seven, there are seven members that are appointed by the president. And one, one member is, is, um, appointed as chair then there are seven uh members appointed by the democratic uh in the, in the the house from the majority leader and the minority leader so you have the most bipartisan yeah commission i would say one of the most bipartisan commissions dealing with one of the with dealing with the most so i wanted to, so my question is in the world is, did, did, you know, were there memorial? partisan politics that ever came into this aside from let's say what happened this week never Never. We had we had people sitting around. We had people sitting around the table that it, it didn't matter if you had a D or an R behind your name. It didn't make a difference where. But everyone had the same common goal: memorializing or honoring, memorializing any of the six million or honoring those who helped people survive and help those people come to the United States and make the United States what it is today, a beautiful melting pot. You know, the what even I'll go one step further, Michael. We, I made, you know, we had non-Jews on the commission, people who weren't Jewish, but felt, uh, you know, uh, felt the proudness of doing stuff for those who were killed by the Nazis. The former deputy chief of staff for the vice president, Michael Pence, John Horn, when he when he stepped out of that position with the vice president, his first request was. I'd like to join the United States Commission for Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. The Deputy Chief of Staff, Emma Doyle, when she left that position, she wanted to join the commission. The First Lady ended up bringing her into her staff, so she was not able to join. But it, 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 the, the commission has, has prominence rose so high during the Trump administration that those in the administration who were leaving, their first request to presidential personnel was, hey, the commission that we'd like to be on is the U.S. Commission for Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. And I just well, think great. That so that's just something. It's not a Jewish commission by design. Obviously, you're looking at at the Jewish heritage, or but it's heritage of, of and many of them are Jews because, look, Jews left these countries and there's nobody to, to speak for them because it and I think that's the idea behind it, if uh, at least my understanding. And so therefore, you are the voice of those communities that no longer exist in some ways. But so let's let's talk about your successor, Star Jones, a uh, well-known TV personality, The View, etc., uh, quite a career. Certainly somebody could raise the profile to some degree. But what is this the first non-Jewish uh, chairman, chairperson? Actually, no. Actually, no. Actually, the first chair was Michael Lewin. And I remember the first conversation I had with Michael. He, you know, he again, he was Stephen Solars's chief of staff. I didn't know that Solars could have somebody working for him who wasn't Jewish, but OK, there you go. See? 
Yeah, and, 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 and what's amazing was I remember the first conversation I spoke to him on Friday after I got this letter. And I spoke to him and I said, I remember the first conversation that we had. I was actually in, in Israel when I called him to ask him about the commission. And he said to me, he goes, let me explain to you a little about the Hasidic sex. And I said, no, 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 Michael, I'm Jewish. He said, well, with a name like Paul Packer, you're Jewish. And I said, like a name with Michael Lewin, you're not. There's the money line idiot. right there. There you go. Okay. But, but, you know, but he came from the community. But but what, what's amazing, but what's amazing is, you know, and and I, you know, again, I really hope that Star Jones take this and I will say it to anybody. I'm so proud that somebody like Star Jones wanted to be the chair of this commission. That means that it's really gone to the level of prominence for somebody like the TV personality like like she should would want. But it, I, I'd say more, you know, the, the more upsetting part of what happened was you know, we're talking about five in five weeks. Everybody Trump appointees appointments were would would have expired and so this was not something that just happened this was something that was partisan as this was something that was partisan where we were all purged five weeks before our terms were expiring and that is something that the most bipartisan issue and the most bipartisan commission became partisan and that's should upset not only me that should upset americans and who, who just anybody who believes never again should be never again. That's who the, that, that's who. So I have to ask the question and many parts. speculate that the reason for the purge, and I'll use that word of the seven Trump appointees is because of one of the members, Darren Beatty, who was a former white house staffer who spoke at a white supremacist conference. Uh, to what degree is there truth to that? What's the real story, if any? And, you know, that made, ev- that made everybody a target. If that, yeah, you know what? If that was true, if that was true, then why didn't they just get rid of Darren? Darren, Darren from day one, Darren from day one was a great member of the commission. Darren had some great ideas for the commission that I don't, I won't buy into that. I won't buy into any of that. All of us, if anybody wanted to take a pop shot at any of us, they could have gone at any of us for being partisan. Again, that's something that I'm not going to buy into. That's something that I'm not even going to talk about because, you know, Darren was a great member of the commission, served served well, attended the meetings. Okay. That's, well, you know, as we mind. as we close and run out of time in this, and I think that this is a under a, a less understood and less celebrated part of American government, but so important. And it's amazing if you look through the newsreel of what you accomplished over the last couple of years. But as you reflect now on your time over the last uh, four years that you were on the commission, uh, what do you see as your most important accomplishment? I think the accomplishment of bringing the commission to such a high level of visibility, to a high le- such a high level of people realizing what the commission does, and not only maybe not here in America, but I could tell you every one of the countries that we touched, you know, when we have ambassadors from other countries, uh, our ambassadors in other countries, careers now, saying, Paul, you know, we, we, you know, I, I'm sorry to see you go. You know, that to me is makes the commission as valuable as, as it's ever been. And I've said it to many people and I've said it to my children because that's the most important. And the people who have to take the lessons from here is the next generation as Holocaust survivors pass every day. 
that the last four years doing this, serving the country and memorializing those who perished in the worst atrocity mankind has ever seen is more, is probably more rewarding, was more rewarding for me than my Well, I'm going to toot your horn for a second, Paul, and I'm going to just tell our listeners that there are currently 25 bilateral agreements currently in effect between the United States of America and Albania, Armenia, Austria, Bosnia, Belarus, Bulgaria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Georgia, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Kosovo, Latvia, Lithuania, Macedonia, Montenegro, Moldova, Poland, Romania, Serbia, Slovenia, Slovakia, and Ukraine. It's a monumental... Oh, please. And... Well, well, who knew that there was a preservation of America's heritage abroad in Bahrain? But uh, there is there there there's actually a in Bahrain. People were escaping actually through 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 there during the Holocaust. And what I say the the bigger thing here, Michael, is that many of these countries have adopted the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism and and Holocaust studies in their schools over the last three plus years. Okay, well, Paul Packer, uh, the former chairman of the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage, Heritage Abroad, uh, as, as of yet somewhat unheralded part of the United States government, thank you so much for your service to the country, to the service to the Jewish community, and uh, we hope to see you again in the uh, near future. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for everything you, you do for all, the, for all the Jewish people. And this is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And as we digest what has happened this past week in the Colleyville, Texas attack hostage situation on the Reform Temple and the 11-hour standoff, Obviously, the aftermath is what we have to think about, and much is being said about how the FBI and the administration have reacted in a way of saying, well, Special Agent Matthew DeSarno in the press conference, he essentially said, well, this was not specifically related to the Jewish community. Well, we'll take that for a second. Let's digest that. And then, of course, President Biden, when asked about it, says we have no specific information as to why the gunman or why the terrorist chose to target that specific synagogue. And this just harkens back to what many of us still remember years and years ago in 2015, February 2015, after the Charlie Hebdo massacre in Paris, the famous words of President Barack Obama, then defended by the White House afterward, saying, giving an interview and saying randomly and talked about people, the terrorists, as randomly shoot a bunch of folks in a deli in Paris once again denying essentially the Jewish nature, the anti-Semitic nature of the act of terrorism. And that is what's so maddening and so frustrating for so many of us. This denial of the idea that Islamic fundamentalists, Islamic radicals, Islamic terrorists target the Jewish community. It doesn't matter who, what, what persuasion of Jew you are, they come after you because you are Jewish. And we don't need 
to look much further than what he actually said to one of the members of the synagogue who was taken hostage. Uh, Jeffrey Cohen, a member of Congregation Beth Israel, gave an interview to the Times of Israel. And he said that he did not come here to kill Jews. He came to release Aifa Siddiqui, and he brought into the extremely dangerous anti-Semitic trope that Jews control everything, and that we would call President Joe Biden and have him release her. Well, there you have it. Let's look no further. The bottom line is that this belief that the Jews control everything and that if you attack Jews somewhere, you will get, you will achieve your aims. So when back in, back to the shocking nature of Josh Ernest, the White House press secretary at the time, had an exchange with Jonathan Carl, and it's most instructive. And I'll just go through it because I think it's so important here. Jonathan Carl says in, in the White House briefing room, this was not a random shooting of a bunch of folks in a deli in Paris. This was an attack on a kosher deli. Does the president have any doubt that these terrorists attacked the deli because there would be Jews in that deli? Ernest replied, it is clear from the terrorists and some of the writings they put out afterwards what their motivation was. The adverb that the president chose was used to indicate the individuals who were killed in that terrible, tragic incident were not killed because of who they were, but because of where they randomly happened to be. See where this is going? Carl didn't let it sit, fortunately. He responded. They weren't killed because they were in a Jewish deli, though? Because they were in a kosher deli? Ernest, these individuals were not targeted by name. Carl, not by name, but by religion, were they not? Ernest, John, there were people other than just Jews who were in that deli. Kind of like in Jersey City, if you remember. That was... The defense back then. Carl, that deli was attacked because it was a kosher deli. It was not just any random deli. It was a kosher deli. Ernest, no, John. No, John. And then, of course, they said afterward, they issued a clarification that the terror attack at the Paris kosher market was motivated by anti-Semitism. This denial of the Jews' humanity, essentially, the right of Jews to be Jews, essentially to go and worship, to go to synagogue, the very basic function of religious life, and seemingly that denial of that basic, you know, let's just erase their identity, seems to always permeate these ideas because we do not want to give in to the, the left, or actually many do not want to give in to this idea that Islamic terrorists and the is that the radical Islamic community does not want to wants to target Jews and they target Israel and they start target the state of the Jews as we talked about a couple weeks ago in talking about care and how one of their leading spokesmen who have now gone on sabbaticals who attacked the liberal Jewish community who talked about how they are all Zionists and they're all culpable in the Zionist occupation and that they are all comfortable and don't get comfortable and don't make alliances with them because they're all the same. And we, ha- we can't 
we as Jews in our community can't believe that the FBI can actually think this because they investigate terrorism. How could they not understand this? How can they have this blind spot when it comes to issues like this that are so critical for us? How can they not connect the dots when it's so easy? Now, of course, you know, a little bit of defense. Let's not rush to judgment, quote unquote. But we do have, can connect the dots a little bit because we have the Council on Islamic American Relations, that same organization that defended their official who has been so outspoken on behalf, I, I, sorry, against the mainstream Jewish community. Various care branches have campaigned in support of Siddiqui. And they have have this Aifa Foundation, Afia Foundation, sorry. And they have praised her, and they have tried to make this a leftist progressive cause to free an Al-Qaeda terrorist serving an 86-year sentence. And we see the fact that this man, who has this interesting record, I'm sure it'll come out, was under investigation by MI5. How he got into the country, I have no idea. Another major question that we should all be asking ourselves the question is, and his brother, his own brother said, my brother got a visa and got a gun, incredulously. His brother, Golbar, said that. But, you know, Joe Biden did not want to rush to justice on this. He wanted to say, well, let's see. I don't know why they targeted that synagogue. The truth is, I don't know why they targeted that synagogue either. It seems to be interesting they targeted that synagogue, given the fact that the rabbi was a, uh, I guess, a ecumenicist or a guy who was who called uh, Israel an apartheid state. He was basically a leftist who had many Muslim friends. And why would you target him? I guess that's one of the things that many of the mainstream Jewish organizations seem to be learning is that they are targeted every much as bit as everybody else. But let's again, let's not rush to judgment. Let's not rush to judgment. Of course, when it came to like Kyle Rittenhouse, for example, the White House, and even the president was willing to call that him a white supremacist. I believe, again, unfortunate, wrong place, wrong time. But we were very quick to run and label him a white supremacist, but not willing to go ahead and right away connect the fact that this was Islamic terrorism. Even though you had this guy on Facebook for two hours, you know that he was clearly there to free his sister, his sister an Al-Qaeda member. And that was clearly there, and that was clearly happening. So we do know a little bit, and even at the time, we know a little bit. And the failure to connect the dots is maddening for us. It just goes back to this idea of the random people in the deli, is that, well, we don't know. You weren't specifically targeted. Well, yes, we were targeted because we're Jewish. And whatever tropes you believe, whatever canards you believe about the Jewish community, you're being targeted because of them. And my last question for you, the audience out there, is why was this not on the front page of the New York Times? Opened New York Times on Sunday morning and proverbially opened, that is, uh, metaphorically opened, and it was not on the front page, which is just shocking and just awful. And just to go back to Jersey City for a second, you know, this once again does not fit that narrative. Of course, that, well, white supremacists kill Jews. And therefore, we have to be outraged because it's white supremacists killing Jews, powerful, powerless. But when the disadvantaged Muslims and how this imbalance came to be 
about, given the fact the number of Muslims in the world versus the number of Jews in the world and that incredible power imbalance. One Jewish state, 50, 60 Muslim countries out there. And, you know, we love the underdog in America, but somehow, somehow the Muslims that are the oppressed intersectionality victims and the Jews can't get any sympathy in this new order from anybody. They're not, neither white, nor are they part of the, uh, nor are they part of the oppressed minorities, and they can go nowhere. They're hated by everybody. And to ignore it and to ignore that connection, we do that at our peril. And, you know, is this a good enough advertisement for being alert and having some security at your shul? They let this gentleman in. They thought he was homeless. They had randomly no idea who he is. They let him in. I'm sure it was an act of compassion. But that is just so incredibly, incredibly naive in this day and age to say that we do have to help the stranger, but not to the extent that we put our own lives in peril. And that's it for this week here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.